Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews, be sure to check out our website, scriptsandscribes.com. Uh, but first, on the show today, we've got a fantastic literary manager and producer whose clients have won dozens of accolades, including being named to the Blacklist, Tracking Board's Hit List, and Young and Hungry List, uh, Nickel Finalist, and much, much more. Uh, one of his more recent successes was when he discovered a recent UCLA uh, MFA screenwriting grad, Ben Copit, and brought him to the attention of WME. And together, they managed to sell his spec script, The Libertine, to Warner Brothers. Uh, and he's since gone on to uh, a studio deal at Warner's. He also has uh, Darby Keeley, who sold a pilot at AMC called DMZ, Christian Durso, who's writing an eight-episode series for HBO and adapting a novel like No Other for Sony. Welcome to the show, Mr. Jesse Silver. Thanks for coming on, Jesse. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, normally, we start off the, the podcast uh, talking about you and your background. But first, I just have to congratulate you before we get into that, that you sure. and, and Darby, I hear, closed a deal today. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> That's very exciting news. So you That's closed a, a deal and you're on the podcast. So. Uh, yeah. We, um, uh, I have a client, Darby Keeley, who's uh, a brilliant guy. He's actually the, the writer and friend who... Uh, was sort of my anchor client. Um, he's he, I've known him since college, and we've been on this very long road together. Um, and um, he sold some stuff last year that we may or may not talk about later. But um, this summer, I found a really incredible figure from history um, that I think very few people in America have heard about. But I, I hope they're all going to hear about her now. Um, I can't say much more than that, uh-huh. but we put together this movie and, and finally closed a deal. Um, so that's maybe all I should say about that. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about Darby then. Um, and we sure. will get, we will circle back around to, cause we definitely want to talk more about you and your background and, and sure. mind frame and all that. Um, but let's just talk about you, Darby, as sort of a, a, as a case study, if you will. Um, yeah. how did you discover Darby and what drew you to him as a client? Um, you know. Uh, how did that whole journey begin for you guys? Sure. Darby and I met at uh, UC Santa Cruz in 2001. Banana slugs. I love it. Yeah, that's right. And I was all I knew about him was that he had a hot girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> who I liked. Yeah. And I, I, uh, anyway, that, that, that uh, ended up uh, morphing into uh, uh, an amazing friendship. And there was, it, it, there was a moment, uh, when we were, it was actually my 21st birthday, mm-hmm. um, where we were sitting and we probably were eight drinks or nine drinks in, um, and you, I'm sure you would remember the red room, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And uh, and I looked at him and I was like, you know, I care about what happens to you. Like, let's make movies together one day, <laughs> right? That was one of the things we shared, and he he agreed. And so five or six years later, after we went through a whole bunch of other phases in our life lives uh we met back up in la and he started writing screenplays seriously and i started started pretending that i knew what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) and that that uh eventually worked out no that's great um so uh, I guess we can circle back around and uh, let's talk about you because I know you studied at UC Santa Cruz and for listeners who don't know, uh, they know I went to USC, but they didn't know I spent two years at UC Santa Cruz before. So right. we we have similar backgrounds in that sense. But you studied biology at UC Santa Cruz. Yeah. Then then you worked at Sun Microsystems for a number of years. So you worked in Silicon Valley, which is yeah. obviously substantially, which is not Hollywood. So you studied biology, worked in Silicon Valley, and now you are a manager and producer in in the entertainment industry. Uh, how does one do that? Make that sort of transition. <laughs> an agent recently, who I respect very much, an agent mm-hmm. I respect very much, recently told me that I willed myself into the business. Which <laughs> I I thought that was a high compliment. Um, I always wanted to make movies, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, I wanted to do many things. In, in, to be honest, um, but movies are like the secret, special one, you know that right. uh, that we, it was almost so important to me that I never believed I would be able to be involved in movies and TV. And so I went, and my my parents told me I wanted I had to be either a doctor, a lawyer, or a rabbi, <laughs> <laughs> like classic Jewish family, I think. And so I chose doctor. And I pursued that, and I studied biology, 
And on the side, I was selling computers. That was my business in high school. Was hmm. building. Uh, before the before before Dell came along, you could actually build a computer right. from parts off the shelf a lot cheaper than you can buy them in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that, and so I had sort of those skills. And it became really clear to me with you know after a year or two in college that I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't really want to pursue academics. Um, and so I got recruited by uh, this vice president at Sun Microsystems, who was a friend of my family's actually, a really good guy. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, he taught me how to be like a normal human, you know, how to write an email and how to present yourself and not just be like a, you know, an asshole 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did that for about five years, and it was really, really rewarding. It, it's You know, you said that... Um, you said that Hollywood and Silicon Valley are totally different. I actually don't see it that way. I think they're really oh, similar. Okay. I think that California sort of is the is the thing, is the mm-hmm. unique element. And they're both filled with incredibly smart people mm-hmm. who have you know, are faced with unbelievable competition every day. Um, and who basically think of their jobs as a way of life rather than like a paycheck. You know, if you if you don't think like that, I don't think you can be successful either in Silicon Valley or in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of a natural transition, actually. Like I, I understood the way the entrepreneurial spirit of Hollywood, you know, without really, it wasn't such a shock. It was, it was, it was a natural transition. And then how anyway, did you that go? Your question? Sort of, but how did you go from uh, Silicon Valley to uh, Hollywood? Oh, to, you know, so okay. That, so what that, happened that was, so yeah. So Sun were, uh, basically collapsed right mm-hmm. after the economy shut down in late 2008. And I was laid off with about half the company in January of 2009. Pardon me. Um, and I sort of sat around thinking, what am I going to do? And what kind of startup am I going to put together? And there were VCs who were part of my network in Silicon Valley who were asking me, what was I going to do next? And... Uh, I eventually realized that if I were, how do I put this best? If I were 80 years old and I looked <laughs> back on my life, even if I was worth $500 million mm-hmm. and I had built this great company in Silicon Valley, I still would be unsatisfied mm-hmm. that I hadn't tried to make movies because that was where my love really stood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved to L.A. I moved in with my father uh, in Palos Verdes. Mm-hmm. Uh, rent-free, and started working with Darby. Called Darby up and said, what are you doing? And he was working as an assistant at the time. Um, and we started developing a web series, oh. um, which <laughs> was eventually picked up by LL Cool J, of nice. all people, <laughs> um, who's an amazing guy, a really talented guy. And we started developing it into a, a television show, which mm-hmm. is where, where he wanted to go with it. Um, and that was my first Hollywood project. But meanwhile, I was just acting as an independent producer. I didn't mm-hmm. know, you know, I thought you could just come in here and say you're a producer and that made you a producer. Um, what I eventually realized is you need to be able to add some value. You know, you can't, like, you can say anything you want about what you can do, but you actually have to show people. And mm-hmm. as a person with no experience, I was not qualified at all to be a producer. Right. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I met this guy. Dar- Darby needed someone to help him with his writing career, specifically on the, you know, selling the scripts, mm-hmm. right? What a, what a manager does, as it turns out. Right. Um, and we met this young manager at um, a, a great company, and he and I struck up a friendship. And he convinced me that that I was already kind of becoming a manager without realizing it. You know, I had thought of management as a dirty word, um, maybe because of the way they're portrayed in a lot of Hollywood satires, uh, you know, um, or in Entourage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it wasn't something I'd considered. Um, uh, but he, he told me that, you know, in this environment, management is really sort of the Wild West. Right. It's the part of Hollywood that maybe is the most like what's going on in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you can, as long as you have something that people want, 
right? If you can manage to get your hands on a script or a client or develop a script that is something that people want, you, you generate your own power, right? Mm-hmm. Experience or no experience. Um, and so that's why he, he convinced me and he quit his job and we started MindFrame together. And, um, and that was, that was the real, that's the whole story. Does that answer your question better? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly okay, what great. we want to know. Um, and talking about MindFrame, uh, I know that you had formed it with a partner, but you had gone your separate ways, uh, about a year and a half ago, I'm thinking. And, yeah. uh, and I know that you've, the company's sort of taken off. You've had a lot of great success recently. And in a previous conversation we had, you had mentioned that sort of your philosophy, your your outlook on representation and the company and, and material has sort of changed. Can you talk about that? What is your sort of your mandate there at MindFrame? What What is it that uh, you your goal is for your your company, for your clients, for the projects that you were trying to set up? What What is it that, that drives you and, and the company? Sure. So when I started um, um, doing this, again, really having no experience, right, just mm-hmm. sort of making mistakes every day and learning from them, um, it seemed like what the thing to do was to sell, you know, to develop a script, find somebody who is, I'll rewind, find, first find somebody who is talented enough to, like, write English in a way that is at least legible, <laughs> okay? Right, which is harder than <laughs> you think. I get queries, no, too. We'll it talk is. about that. yeah. But actually, it turns out that's not nearly enough, and that's where we're going with the story. Um, Find somebody who can write English that's at least legible, and then follow all these rules, you know, from, you know, all these technical and often very smart rules about how stories function, right? Mm -hmm. Just like music has rules. Right. Um, uh, And then if you you do something that's like in the zone of what people are buying, then you'll sell a script, and and then you're a manager, and you're a producer, and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And... That's how we operated. We were, we we developed very intensely um, with our younger clients, and we're producing things that we thought were going to fill some kind of a slot. Um, rather, developing things that we mm-hmm. thought would fill some kind of a slot, and that you know it, it worked here and there, but actually some of our bigger successes were things that we didn't even develop. To be completely frank, we things they were things we found like flashback. Um, which was the first script that I got on the blacklist, mm-hmm. um, written by Will Hanley. It's a great script. Um, that you know, that's something that kind of fell into our lap because of a relationship with UCLA's MFA program. Mm-hmm. It's a great program, uh, and a few other things like that. Uh, I got a guy, a director named Clark Baker, who sold a, a really great short to Paramount, and the short fell in our lap. And you know, we it wasn't that hard to sell. Right. Um, anyway. Um, I began to be aware of the failure of this development model, <laughs> and it was painful, uh, but because it meant that no manager could just, you know, will a good script into existence. It doesn't work like that. I don't mm-hmm. believe, at least. Um, and eventually, I realized that what the real job is is to find people who are truly unique individuals, right. who are talented beyond just their, you know, prose construction abilities or even their imaginations or even their personalities, if they have great personalities, that helps. Um, But to find people who really are special, Mm -hmm. and that's really hard to do. And it requires a lot more time. (laughs) Right, I can imagine. (laughs) Um, And... I transformed the way I thought about development, that it's much more about forming deep personal relationships with these artists and helping them be their best. And, you know, you, it, there are people, I'm sure there are great artists out there who I could never work with because, um, because their methods and their ways of thinking are so different than mine. Mm-hmm. Instead, I look for people who I can be friends with and who I get along with on a personal level, Absolutely. on an ideological level on a political level, right? We have to, we're like part of the same kind of mind. Right. And out of that comes really interesting art. And I found that people respond to that. And by the way, even when they don't respond to it, like, like we have to buy this, mm-hmm. they at least respect it as a unique thing. Sure. And it advances the, the writer's career. Right. Uh, and, and, 
I, I've heard that, and it's great to hear from you, but I've heard some of the most successful and some of the uh, reps that I respect the most have said something similar. Where That's it's good really, to know. It's really, about the, it's really about the relationships, and it's really about finding people that you want to work with because not only do they have great material and they're talented, but because they're, you, you connect with them as people, as individuals. Right. Um, okay. Your goals are the same. You uh, you speak the same language, so to speak. I'm not speaking. You know, I'm talking about you know, philosophically. Um, so that's fantastic right. to know. Uh, well, and- I'm glad that there are, that your favorite people say the same thing. Absolutely. That, I mean, you should know that comes from my life and my experience. And so sure. it's interesting to know that people, you know, develop the same sort of philosophy. And um, I, look, there are a lot of great managers out there who do who are a little bit more of the spec shop. Sure. And they do produce mm-hmm. things that they think they can sell. And I don't want to denigrate those people. I think they do something that is valuable and they make money at it and movies come out of it. But that's that's I can't do that. Right. It's too. It, it's, it's it doesn't work for me. Well, I'm glad. Um, yeah. uh, you had mentioned though um, that you, you use the word special when you're mm-hmm. talking about uh, clients or potential yeah. clients, um, and we often hear the term voice, a writer with a voice. So going beyond uh, that sort of philosophical and or uh, personality sort of mesh with you. When you're talking about something that's something special, what is it that you look for other than their personality and their sort of writing ability? What is it there that that stands out to you as special? In the writing voice, you mean okay. specifically? Yeah, or just in, in something that they bring to the table, whatever that may be. Right. Yeah. How do I judge that? You're, well, I mean, we, good... we're always asked to quantify it, and I know it's so difficult no, to No, I, I have an answer for oh, you. Oh, beautiful. I do. I'd love to hear it. It's a weird answer. (laughs) Hey, you know. Basically, I've my whole life, and this might be one of the reasons why I've managed to begin to cobble together some amount of success in management. Mm -hmm. My whole life has been a collecting of people. Okay. Okay. All of my best friends, my whole life. I've and this might sound kind of cynical or bizarre, but it's actually very real and heartfelt. I always am thinking to myself, how is this person going to like do something great in the world and be of value to the world and thus in some way synergistically to me? Okay, I've been like that since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I constantly sort of have assessed like my friendships and who I get along with. And I've kind of learned to make friends who are interesting people, cool. I think. Um, and that's why the connector, the thing about being friends and being, you know, wanting to be a part of what this person is doing, it's just sort of something I've developed, and it's like who I am, um, and that's what I look for. If you can sit down with somebody and say, "God damn, this person is so interesting," right? Um, like this person has, you know, and they can write, and you already know that, then right. chances are they're going to produce something of real value at some point. Wow, um, that's what I think. No, that's I mean that's why that's why I told you the story about Darby, yeah. where we're sitting there, and it just, you know, we'd been shooting this shit for years about movies and whatever else you talk about at UC Santa Cruz that we can't mention in a podcast, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and it just hit me that, like, this, you know, this guy is going to do something mm-hmm. in the world. It's going to be real, and it's going to be worth being a part of, um, so that's what I look for. No, that's great. That's, you're one of the few who actually has a sort of, I don't want to say explanation, but sort of a description for how you look at the whole process. Usually you get, you know, you know it when you see it kind of thing. or So that's, at least there's sort of a solid answer there, um, which is great. Now, for those individuals, I mean, we, we talked about it before, uh, not on the podcast, about... Uh, you get queries. I get queries. Uh, people who listen sure. to the podcast who are frequent listeners know that I get queries, which is, please don't send me queries. I don't represent <laughs> any writers. Um, yeah. And I have zero clients, but that doesn't mean I'm looking for any clients because we're not uh, any reps at all. We don't do anything <laughs> with them here. Yeah. But I, I got a query the other day from Georgia, and this is mm-hmm. from not the state of Georgia, from the uh, old Russia, the Soviet Republic, Tbilisi, Georgia. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, from a composer who said, dear team, I'm a composer, I have all these great songs, I would love to put them in your musical television shows, blah, blah, blah. Short, Long story short, know who you're querying, know what you're querying about, this personality has no clue, just 
typed in, I don't know what they typed in, found an email and started sending emails. I get a lot of those. I'm sure you get, you, well, I think we mentioned it, you get dozens. Every rep we talk to gets dozens, sure. if not hundreds a week. I'm not quite in the hundreds category yet, but maybe after this <laughs> podcast I will be. Well, <laughs> you're, you're signing your own death warrant here. <laughs> uh, um, I get maybe, you know, between five and eight a day, I'd right. say. Like a slow day is maybe two or three, and a big right. day is 10 or 12. Okay. Um, well, for those who may be listening and may be interested in querying you or any rep, mm-hmm. we've talked, we've touched on it before, and, and but I want, it's always a great topic to cover. What makes a query stand out to you? What are some do's and don'ts in a query? Boy, so queries. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have never signed a client off of a query letter, so okay. I should say that right away. Sure. Um, I know people who have, and it has worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, in total honesty, when, when I first teamed up with my partner, um, you know, four whatever years ago, mm-hmm. he brought a few clients that he had found through query letters uh, to MindFrame, mm-hmm. and, to, and none of them have actually panned out. Okay. This day. Sure. Many of them I don't even talk to anymore. Mm-hmm. Just I want to. I, I'm saying this because I want to. Emph- this this is set up for my next point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you know what it's going to be. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how I, I I have a hard time seeing how query letters really function, it, because it, it's it, it it's somebody usually query letters are written by somebody out there in a vacuum, right? Who aren't really a part of the business, mm-hmm. like this guy in Georgia. Although a composer is interesting, I've never gotten. <laughs> a, I would definitely listen to his music, Ben. He might be brilliant. It maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Forward that well, to me. Yeah, I will. I will, actually. I'll send it Thank to you. you. Yeah. Um, um, I think writing is a lot different. Mm-hmm. It, writing is a, you know, it's about living the lifestyle of a, of a, of a writer in Los Angeles. I think that's a really key point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and having a writer's group and knowing other writers and developing your artistic sense in this environment, steeped in movie language and people who know a lot about movies and all these incredibly brilliant people in Los Angeles. I think that's essential to raising your game and understanding what the, the, the height of the bar that you are trying to overcome. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I think a lot of people think about query letters pretty skeptically, that some, some person in Texas who might be a brilliant person right. has the environment and the structure necessary to become the kind of writer that they need to be to, to, to win at this. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I, I, what, what would I put into a query letter? Well, I what are, what are things to Los Angeles next month and <laughs> here's my script. And if you would read it and if you like it, meet me for lunch. Cause I'm moving to Los Angeles to, to do this. That's, that's what right. I would write in a query letter. Well, for example, um, obviously things like the blacklist, the hit list, Young Hungry, those are for people who are already sort of in the industry. Their scripts are already circulating. That's how you get on those lists. You can't necessarily submit to those lists. Right. Um, but things like Nickel or, you know, the Austin Film Screenplay Festival or mm-hmm. those types of things. Now, if you're a finalist in those, you will get attention regardless of you don't have to query. You, you know, those just your name being on those lists will kind of get you that sort of attention. But for example, right. what if somebody who... Uh, is sort of starting out in their screen screenwriting career, mm-hmm. has won or uh, done well in some festivals, but hasn't uh, uh, signed with anybody, is not in L.A., but maybe has a great logline, a great script, potentially. Uh, what in a query might attract your attention? For example... So if, the, few, the few query letters that I do respond to, sure. I respond to maybe one out of every 20. Mm-hmm hoping, you know, that one day I'll find something great. And I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> um, is just a really unique log line. And it's, that's one of the things that I'm talking about here. It's really hard for people who aren't in the industry to generate a unique log line because they think, you know, it's really, and by the way, I was here once. I'm not judging, okay? Mm-hmm. 
it, you think that your idea is so freaking good and it's so unique. And almost all the time, almost 100% of the time for young writers, it is definitely not unique and it is not that good, you know? Right. Um, and, um, but if they really do have something that I haven't heard before or just sounds really interesting, I'll absolutely email them back. Um, for me, it's mostly the log line. It's also the writing. Sometimes people have an idea that might be decent, but they definitely can't write English, and so I just don't respond. Right. Um, um, uh, uh, but once once in a while, I send them. Uh, I always send a waiver because I'm, my lawyer makes me afraid of legal repercussions from reading unsolicited submissions. Um, and I'll read it, and I'll read a few pages. And at that point, what I'm looking for is mostly two things: one, that they're humans sound like humans, and I can start to get a sense of who the person is, mm -hmm. which is really hard to do. And two, that it's just written well, that the person can actually write creative prose. And for me, it's more of an IQ test. I'm almost never looking for um, that script as like something I could sell. That's not my mentality. And I think a lot of managers operate like that. Although I'm not sure, you'd probably know more about that than me. You mean in the the sense of they're looking more for the voice, less for yeah, the person. Right. Yeah, like like we talked about before, some of them are, yeah. are spec gunslingers. They just look for something to, that they could, this high concept that they can sell, and other ones, yeah, right. have the mentality that you do. You're hiring the writer, not the material. And I, right. I, I think that's, right. that's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm looking for, yeah, if they can, if every sentence is surprising and, and smart in a literary way, and, and the characters sound like real people, then I've really got something. Right. And we but can, all, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, and we can emphasize that shorter is better, because like you had said, which is what we get from almost across the board, it's the log right. line. They don't need a description of you and where you went to high school and yeah, you know where you live. No, unless you have a great story. Right. That's really valuable. Right. Um, if they were in the Army and they got injured in Iraq and then they came back and got an award and then went and helped in some NGO in, in, you know, in Georgia. Right. <laughs> Uh, and then that's worth telling. That is right. Um, Unless you're super, super interesting like that, or it applies to your script itself. Like right. you, you have a script about you know a law practice in the inner city somewhere, and you were a lawyer in the inner city somewhere, and it applies. Other than that, they don't need to know that you sold insurance. You're an insurance salesperson, and yeah. you live in Boise, Idaho. They, it's it's not relevant. I mean, for me, the base. If if you don't have a captivating story, uh, which is something else we could talk about, by the way, because Anyone out there who wants to be a writer and they're in their, let's say, early to mid-20s, but preferably early 20s, like graduating from college, and want to be a writer, don't take my advice about moving to L.A. It's <laughs> what I would say. <laughs> go, go out into the world and do something and be crazy. Um, you know, my, one of my clients, Darby Keeley, went and lived in South Korea and taught English and traveled all over Asia. And the first script that we developed together that got him some action was a treasure hunt movie through Asia, right? Right. And then his big script that really launched his career in a meaningful way last year was about North Korea. Mm. Um, uh, or Ben Copet, who uh, is 36 when he sold the Libertine. Right. And he graduated, I believe, from Columbia. Uh, Smart guy. With an undergraduate degree in playwriting uh -huh. and English. And then he went and worked in the opera. And he oh. produced and stage managed opera for like six or seven years and met all these crazy people. Mm -hmm. And then came to L.A. Uh, to get his MFA in screenwriting. I think that that is what I would say. Uh, so anyway, back to your question <laughs> about, about query letters. Um, the ideal query letter sans any of that stuff. Mm-hmm is, hey, <laughs> I just started writing a couple of years ago. This is my third or fourth script. Like, I think it's, I'm getting, like, I feel like I'm getting better. Would you mind reading a few pages and telling me what you think? Um, here's the log line. And then it's like a decent log line. But it's humble. It's 
it's like self-aware. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, query letters that are not self-aware where they're just telling you how brilliant they are. Right. And don't mention, um, yeah, don't mention yeah. Academy Awards and don't mention. Uh, right. Don't tell me movie. about how I'm going to sell your movie. <laughs> yeah, and don't say that, don't compare your movie to, it's, this is the next Star Wars or don't compare it. It's going to win Oscars for, you know, <laughs> don't do right. that. Because it just shows right. that you have no idea what you're talking about. Because right. nobody can pre exactly. predict that. Not even the most experienced producers, the most experienced uh, filmmaker. They they can't predict that. Nobody can. Yeah. If they can't, trust me, you can't. The movies that go into production, everybody's hoping they're going to win Oscars. Right, and hoping, but you have no work. idea. <laughs> so for a, a novice, so to speak, to come in with their their query letter saying, you know, this is the next big Oscar film, or this is going to be the next big franchise, like insert franchise here, you're you're crazy to do that, and it just makes you seem delusional. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so that's what I would. Yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, come across as being rational and some somewhat self aware. That's important. Yes, that's right. And um, simple, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, Keep it brief. and hungry. Yes, that's um, huge anyway. too. Yeah. Um, talking about hungry, they have to treat it like a job. It's because we, we've talked about the before on the podcast about writers who treat it seriously. This this is their career. This is what you want to do. You uh, you want to be a writer. Other writers, there are many, many of them, treat it like the lottery. They're going to, oh, I have an idea for a movie. That's great. I'm going to slap it down on some paper. I'm going to send it out. It's such a great idea, and they're going to sell it, and I'm going to be rich and famous. And that's their mentality. And you can see that's it exactly very easily right. in a query, and it, that's not the way to go about it. And by the way, Kevin, I think that speaks to, again, my story, mm -hmm. where although we had taken it, we were taking our work very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um we were still we there was still a little bit of that sort of lottery overhang where we were like we just got to sell a script and that will do it right and that's the thing that's the goal right and it's just not true it's absolutely wrong um, right. it's not about a script it's about it's about a life and uh, an art you know right um, and a point of view and those are the most important things and then by the way also, just learning about the business and getting respect from people and meeting enough people that, you know, you start to become an entity, mm -hmm. which applies to both managers and agents and also writers. You know, writers go out there and forge their own relationships. And I, I think, you know, I've this is another big change I've made in the last two years is instead of sort of being the mother and managing all of the relationships between the executives and the writers mm -hmm. or the directors, I do have two directors as well, um, I really encourage them to understand that we're all at summer camp together. That's my metaphor. Mm -hmm. This is a big summer camp, and we're all here together, and we all have slightly different roles, but like the social network, I think, should be free, to, free and open, and they need to build their own relationships with executives and with um, producers and with actors or whomever. Right. right? Um, and that's a good thing, you know, mm -hmm. it, they don't need their manager to tell them where to stand or what to say. So where should I stand? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, well, talking about relationships, how important is networking for a writer? Yes. How, uh, how the important? whole damn thing. Okay. <laughs> other than all the other incredibly hard things that right. we talked about. <laughs> other than being a brilliant genius writer and a sane, right. sane uh, hardworking, responsible individual, how yeah. important is the networking? And, and, and I, what, what can writers who aren't necessarily either good at networking or, hasn't, or aren't, don't have the opportunities at this point? We already talked about you know, being somewhere like Los Angeles specifically where you can make connections. But for somebody who may have a hard time doing it or somebody who may be thinking about moving out but haven't done it yet, how can they plan on networking, building a network, meeting people? It's a very interesting question. I, I, the second part of it, I'm not sure how to answer. Okay. Um, I don't know what it would be like to have grown up in Miami right. or in Dallas or whatever mm -hmm. um, and then move to L.A. and not know anybody. But I know people have done it, right? Um, and they and it's worked for them. Mm -hmm. And they get involved with writers groups. They get involved with um, improv communities. Right. Um, 
they get involved with theater, you know, they start writing short. There's, there's so many small theater companies in LA that you can find some theater company that will put on your 15 minute one act, you know, sure. If it's of any quality, right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I know that would be hard. I, I grew up in L.A., and although I did not grow up in a movie community, I didn't know anyone really in the movie business. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, you know, my parts of my family are here, and so it, was, it wasn't as shocking as it would be for some of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, <laughs> you know, I would say it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, there are movies about this. Um, you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. and figure it out afterwards, I think. Um, And the first part of the question about networking, I mean, I think the key insight for me was understanding that basically anyone you came in contact with who might be able to be of some value to you and even potentially people who you couldn't see, obviously, what their value was. Sure. um, If they were at least not drooling idiots. Right. Right. Um, you should probably ask them to lunch. Right, or horrendous <laughs> or D-bags. Right. Huh? Or horrendous D-bags. Or horrendous D-bags. Yeah, right. stay away from them. Right. Um, yeah. Um, bros, as we say. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I know a lot of good bros. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, you just have to kind of, uh, you know, get some backbone and ask these people to lunch. And it's going to be awkward probably in the beginning and you're not going to know how to give a lunch and you're not going to know how to talk about yourself. Right. Um, but you'll learn and you have to do it. Right. Now, <laughs> so, now for, for, for those that don't have a network uh, and they're just in that process of, of trying to find one, uh, can you explain why? I mean, obviously networking with, Reps like yourself, you know, uh, mm-hmm. managers, agents, producers, uh, even fellow writers who may be able to pass your script on or give you feedback is important. By the way, that's one of the best ways that people get representation is they have a friend. Sure. And they, you know, exactly as you're saying. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. So, no, all, all I was going to add on is for, for those that don't seem like they're necessarily in that category assistants or somebody that works in production but not necessarily in representation you know whatever um how can you what can you say to them to why that that's valuable i'm sorry i'm not sure i understand the question well i'm just saying is obviously if if networking with you know agents or managers producers those type of people who can get your material sold uh-huh. Or get your material to those people who can get your material sold is is valuable, obviously. Uh, but for yeah. those that we, because you had mentioned, try to network as much as you can, even if you don't see the inherent value of not them as a human being, obviously, because you know a good nice person is a good person. But in terms of their station, for example, if they were. You know, an assistant somewhere at Fox Studios, but not necessarily in anything you're working right. on. Absolutely. That's a great point. I, I'm, I'm sorry I missed that the first time. I, you're totally right. And it's, if, let's say, it's, it, you know, you're probably not, quite frankly, going to find it very easy to network directly with agents and managers mm-hmm. and studio executives because that's all we do. Right. <laughs> and we're pretty. <laughs> Like, it, you know, I don't meet a lot of just people on the street. Any, you know, I, I, I spend so much time just working. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but if you are, let's say, in your mid or late 20s and you start building a network in L.A. and you meet some guy who has friends who are actors and then he invites you to a party and then you go to the party and then you meet somebody there. I mean, there's, there's a million ways it could happen. L.A. Right. is absolutely filthy with people who work in the movie business. Right. It's pretty hard not to run into one, you know, if you just get out of your house a little bit. Sure. So, I, I mean, yeah, any any assistant or any... Um, or like you said, actors, you even. Know, young actor. People in production. Um, is going to have in their network yeah. people who can get your material to the mm-hmm. right person. Yeah. And that was the point brilliantly illustrated so um (laughs) cool and taking the taking sort of a backward look um Mm -hmm. because a lot of uh, our listeners are you know sort of at the earlier stages of their career some have representation many do not Uh, 
and they send out queries or they enter screenplay competitions, whatever that 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 course may be for them. Um, for a starting screenwriter looking for representation, oftentimes they'll send to agents and managers. Agents obviously are in the business of selling material more than finding new talent. They spend more of their time because they have a lot more clients to deal with. I mean, unless you win the Nickel Fellowship or something like that, you're probably not on their radar or not something that they would take a chance on unless you get a referral. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but so that the they find a lot of their clients through the means I just said, or through referrals through you guys, your clients, right. managers. Right. Um, so how do you, let's say you, you find a new writer that you want to work with, you think is super talented, you, they're sane and they're hardworking and, and they're super interesting. How do you, what is the next step in terms of, of with them and their material, with finding an agent? What, what is the next step for once you sign a client? Mm-hmm. It depends on what I'm signing. Cool. Okay. Everyone is different. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, somebody, you know, I find somebody who has a great script. Well, then absolutely, we're just going to go get an agent, like in the case of Ben Copet. Right? Sure. Um, because we're just going to go sell that script. And his, you know, I, I when I met Ben, <laughs> he pitched me the script as as in a very kind of self-deprecating way. Okay, <laughs> so I did not have high hope. Right. But I read it, and it was one of the best things I've ever read. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know I knew that it was going to start his career, uh, without question. That's the one thing I promised him. I said I don't know if this is going to sell because it's super tiny, um, but it is going. You will be a professional writer and be making money very soon. Mm -hmm. um, and we went and got an agent, and that was the end of that. You know, then you sort of do a normal process, which is. Um, look, a, a splashy sale to a studio is the easiest scenario for reps because you actually get incoming calls right away. Sure. You know, you have other studios start calling you and saying, who is this guy? We have to meet him. And it's sort of all, it takes care of itself. So then my main job at that point is um, making sure that he has a lineup of new material to sell, you know, and advance his career. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we go right into development right after that. With somebody who doesn't necessarily have a script that can sell right away, mm -hmm. we start developing one. And I try not to think about selling it. Right. I try only to think about making a statement about this person and their writing and who they are. Um, right. And in some cases, that has ended up with a sale. <laughs> Which great. is, I mean, that's, that's where some of these insights come from, right? Uh -huh. like what we were thinking is, let's do something really bananas. And then it turns out to be a huge sale and make a ton of money and really launch the person into a different category. Sometimes it's too weird to sell, um, uh -huh. but it still has enough value that that person gets a lot of meetings and now people know who they are, which gives me an, an opportunity to... Um, have them write something a little safer sure. for the next script. Um, because now they have credibility as a creative and brilliant person. They can do something just slightly safer that fits into sort of the kind of boxes of things that actually get made. Um, and and, and uh, I find that works pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it's not until you really have something that you need to sell that I go to an agent. Typically. Okay. And how much material... Um, is too much material if a writer comes to you with a ton of material? Interesting question. Um, well, I don't know if there's such a thing as too much material. I think some of that does depend on, you know, if you've been writing two scripts a year for 10 years, that's one thing. And if they're not good after 10 years, you probably have a, you have a problem. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but if they've been writing, like if they haven't actually developed a process yet and they're right. just writing a script without an outline and they're doing it like, you know, they're writing like six scripts a year. There are people like that sure. who haven't really learned to do a process that results in a good story and a good script. And so they, they end up with, you know, 20 scripts, but they've only really been writing for three or four years, and that right. doesn't worry me as much. Okay. Although, if they, <laughs> if they, uh, if they're not willing to learn a process, then you you do have a problem. Right. Also. 
Absolutely. Um, and that's something that I don't think we've harped on it, but it's definitely something that we sort of emphasize in that, uh, you know, it's it, our screenwriting is whether you consider it an art or a craft, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just I'm going to sit down, slap something together, and it's, you know, because I have a great idea. The great idea doesn't make you, doesn't make your script great. That's right. Great writing makes your script great. You, you, a right. great writer can take a, a, an average idea and make it, you know, a really good script out of it. That's right. A, a terrible Fine writer fault. can take the most brilliant <laughs> idea. At, right, exactly. <laughs> but, a, you know, a mediocre writer or worse, somebody who really doesn't care that much, can't, no, no matter how brilliant, amazing, unique your idea is, and I can guarantee 99.9999% of ideas out there aren't as great as the people think that they are. But you, you can take the most brilliant idea ever. If you're not a good writer, you haven't mastered the craft, it's no matter how great your idea is, your script's not going to be good. That's right. So. And I think that also speaks to something I've touched on. But it is like the dark truth that people don't like to talk about very much. Mm-hmm. And that is there are people are many people who really do have the passion and the dedication yeah. and really the obsession. <laughs> right. And they can often have ideas, you know, some mm-hmm. of them have pretty good ideas, but they don't have that last thing for whatever reason. And it's not their fault. And sure. it's, it's not their fault. It's just like some of us aren't that great at singing. And as much as you want to be a singer, you probably shouldn't be a singer. Right. And in in I think screenwriting is the same thing, and there are a lot of people who should you know on you want to root for them and you want them to succeed, but right. they just don't produce a script that is good enough, and right. for whatever reason, um, and that's it sucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that reps try to avoid getting themselves into those kinds of situations because you never. Are, I don't believe you should ever be the person to, set, to tell somebody you shouldn't be doing this. Right. I think that's wrong um, because you are just one person. You know. Yeah. Um, you hear horror stories about this. I've never done it. I've never said that to anybody. Um, but I also avoid ever getting in that position, which is maybe why I'm kind of nuts about finding just a voice. Because once you have that, I think you can craft a script. Yeah. Um, but if you have a great story and the script is mediocre... I'm really not convinced that you could ever get a great script out of that person. Right. I think maybe sometimes you could. I, I don't know. I, I try to avoid right. learning about. You know, I don't want to find out because then you <laughs> you end up really hurting this person. Right. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I agree. And when I'd say that if you are not a good writer and you have the brilliant idea, you're not going to produce a good script. I'm not telling people not to write a script. I'm just saying right. it, it takes work. It takes hard work. Um, and your first draft is. Please don't submit first drafts. I, I no, was yeah. I was a story don't analyst. Don't submit your first script. No, no. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> good point. Submit your fourth script. You know. Yeah. yeah keep writing and keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been there as writers. We've all been there. We've all you know thought, hey, this script is great, and then three years later you look back on it and you're like, yeah, that wasn't so good. Um, so right. have that self-awareness. Oh, by the way, that, that applies to even the best writers, though. Oh, a lot sure. of the best, like A lot of people think, you know, who've written multi-million dollar screenplays look at their last one as like, I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, though. It shows you're growing yeah. and you know becoming more self-aware. But you have to continue right. writing and continue working to get to that point. That's right. Uh, and continue to get better. And uh, I wanted to touch on something that we had talked about before, and that mm-hmm. is something that we get asked uh, on occasion, and sure. that is because you had mentioned Ben uh, didn't sell his script, The Libertine, until he was like in his early mid-30s or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But ageism is something that comes up from time to time. And I know in, in certain areas, for example, like acting, it, it, it can play a role. I mean, there's definitely, if you're trying to break in as a leading man and you're 60, it's going to be exceptionally difficult just by nature of, of what it entails, the job. Uh, but for, for writing, the politically correct answer, and I'm not sure if it's accurate, maybe it actually is true, and I believe that it probably is likely to be true, probably more so in film than in TV, where you TV, you definitely have to work with a group of individuals um, in face-to-face as opposed to screenwriting a film where you're sort of left to your own devices most of the time. Uh, but ageism, does that come into play? Have you seen it? What do you? What is your advice for writers who may be older? 
older and not college for representation. Yeah, older. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that's an interesting question. Uh, uh, You know, I don't think of age when I read a query letter, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, sometimes you can tell how old somebody might be just by the the life story they tell you. Sure. Um, I think, I, I think if somebody has enough passion and enough fortitude that, that all the formulas we've talked about already should apply to people of any age, essentially. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't see why not. Particularly if you go the route of, let's say, getting involved in communities like, like community theater um, or uh, improv, right? Mm-hmm. Um, places where scripts are performed or written. Um, I do wonder whether, and I think this goes with almost any skill, whether if you know if somebody hasn't really written for their whole life, whether it's possible for them just even on a technical level to get good enough at it if they only start it, let's say in their fifties, I don't really know the answer to that. I'm skeptical, but you know I'm sure there are people who could prove otherwise. Right. Um, but in terms of you know if somebody has a great script, it's going to get attention. I really believe that. Like really great things, truly great things, and we're talking about you know tenth of a percent, hundredth of a percent of the things that are produced, you know, in final draft every year. <laughs> right. <laughs> like those things are, will find a home. Right. I, I believe that. And that's why you have to send stuff out. You, you know, even if, even if it's, if it's uncomfortable or if it's, it makes you afraid or if you're, you know, nervous about being judged, like you have to get it out into the world because that's the only way you're ever going to find out if it's any good. Right. And you had mentioned something else uh, before we came onto the podcast that mm-hmm. I thought was about this topic in particular that sure. I thought was was interesting and relevant that sure. uh, when you are no longer in your 20s, uh, it may seem like it's more difficult because if you're not already in Los Angeles, it's harder to move here. Uh, And it's just inherently easier when you're in Los Angeles. I'm just going to lay that out there. I'm not saying you have to be in Los Angeles, but it makes it infinitely easier. Well, yeah, I'll say it very – I really think that is a huge part of this. Sure. And, you know, if if you really do want to do this in your life, if this is that important to you, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the – you know, you're getting onto an NBA team. Right. Right? There are fewer people inducted into the WGA – Every quarter or semester or year, however they, I think they do it quarterly or semesterly, there are fewer people than are drafted into the NFL every year. Right. This is really hard to get into. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So if you believe that you should be one of those people that much, you have to get onto the fucking field. Pardon my language. Right. Right. You have to go and play the game. And this is where the game is played. And I think... You know, I'm sure that's much harder for people with families and with obligations and mortgages. Right. Um, you know, usually it often works in the other direction. A lot of screenwriters, very successful people with, you know, retirement savings accounts don't <laughs> live in L.A. I right. know a bunch of guys I work with who who live in Seattle or not, not my clients because I don't have clients who are that, you know, at, at that age and level yet. Sure. Um, but I've, uh, my clients have worked with people who live in Chicago or Seattle or New York or London, and but they were in LA, you know, for yeah. that period, for that sensitive period of building your your brand and your career. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they got to move and buy a four million dollar house on a Puget Sound, right? right. <laughs> buy your own <laughs> island, right? In, in Puget and, Sound. and this is why to you know, and this won't be helpful at all to people in their forties or fifties, but this is why to anybody in their twenties who's thinking that this is something that they can sort of do at night and not take seriously, mm-hmm. um, and that maybe one day in their 30s it'll happen for them, I think that's wrong. And if they really want to do it, they need to make that decision to commit to it for five or eight years or whatever it is, move to L.A., you know, get a job bartending, right. and, and make it happen. Yeah. And it's exceptionally difficult no matter what your age is. 
Uh, which That's is, right. So, and it's not necessarily just ageism or not ageism, but like you had mentioned, one when you're older, sometimes you have other commitments that make other things like being in Los Angeles or moving or networking more of a challenge because you have other commitments. But in addition to that, what I will say on the on the flip side, especially for uh, which you had mentioned before with Ben, I think it was Ben. I mean, no, it's Darby. That oftentimes when you're older, you have a life's experiences that you don't when you're younger. So you have yep. a different voice. You're able to, to draw from things other than I went to college. So in right. that sense, I think there are a number of advantages. But I think also, again, when you, when you get older, and you get settled and you, you're living in Kansas City or you're living in, in, in Houston and you have a good life, it's hard to dedicate as much time and possibly relocate your whole life for the slim opportunity for a shot That's at the right. news, unless it's the one thing you have to do. Unless you burn the ships. We use that example a lot. Um, when you burn the ships and you have nothing to go back to, um, not literally, don't burn anything. <laughs> this is a phrase, Kevin, that Darby and I said many times when we were yes. first starting out. And it was a big realization for us. That, you know, this is from Gattaca, that you can't leave anything for the swim back. Right, <laughs> it's right. really important. And that feeling of pressure and inevitability, um, I think, really helps your brain solve the problems that you need to solve to get to where you want to go. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I guess it was Cortez, we use that, the burn the, the ships example, to where you have to make it so that... Uh, you because it's too easy to quit it's so hard in the industry that if you have something else to fall back on you're likely going to fall back on it so that's right and that's not to say that you should just dump your life and 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 you know start aspiring to be a screenwriter unless that's what you have to do and because you don't realize that you everyone thinks that their ideas that what they have that their their ability and their talents is unique and special. And even if that's true, even if you really are unique and special and brilliant, L LA, the industry is full of people like that. That's right. Um, that's right. And so yeah. you are no longer unique and special. You're just in a pool of really unique, special people, really talented people. And so if you're not committed, because all those people are committed, there's a lot of them that are super committed. And if you're not, you may be unique and special and talented, but there's hundreds and thousands of them here that are committed, that are working, busting their ass to get there. And then if you're not, you're going to get left behind, unfortunately. That's right. And I, it's you reality. know, I, I, it's, it's strange to give this advice because so many people who do this fail <laughs> at right. the specific thing that they wanted to do, which whether it's sell a TV show and become a showrunner or, you know, make big movies or whatever it is. Right. Um, but, you know, if if that's the thing <laughs> that you need to do for your life, you better try. Right. You know? And it's okay to fail. Right. You know, one of my favorite uh, people, you know, you'll you, it's going to make you a more interesting person. I, I'm sure of that. Like one of my favorite interviews I ever heard... Um, on television was with uh, the creator of Spanx. I don't remember her name. Okay. And she you knows, I'm serious. And she said, you know, they said, how are you? She's one of the most successful women in in the United States. And they asked her, how did you do this? You know, mm -hmm. and she told the story and it took, you know, years. And she had so many different uh, prototypes mocked up and she went through all this hell and I said, how did you get through that? And she said, well, my father taught us when we were young that failure was something to be proud of. And most parents ask their kids when they get home from school, you know, what did you do today? Or what good thing happened today? Or what were your grades today? Right? Mm -hmm. And this father asked her every day, what did you fail at today? Oh, interesting. And unless she had a good answer, he would that would disappoint him, you right. know? Um I thought that was really interesting. No, I mean it is, and you can't succeed without failing. And there's an old Michael Jordan quote too that um what is it that um um he failed so many times. What is that quote? Let me just look it up really quickly. 
Uh, Can't help you there. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Uh, uh, oh, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 mm-hmm. times I've been trusted to take the game's winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. That's good. Yeah, and then you know, exactly. Michael Jordan. And you know, you don't equate as many times as he has quote unquote failed. You never equate Michael Jordan with anything but winning. That's right. So right. Anyway, um, so that's that's your lesson today on failure. <laughs> <laughs> I've told Embrace that story it. a few times. Yeah. yeah, I like that story. Um, let's see. We are. We've been. I don't want to take. I know you're. 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 I don't know if we can talk about it. It's personal, but your sister's getting married soon. Uh, sure. we'll, just, we'll just throw yeah. that out there. And so I know you're super, super busy. Um, we have a couple other quick things that I'd love to run past you. We do sure. a section called Reading, Watching, Playing, and Listening to, and where we okay. like to find out what you're reading uh, for obviously not spec scripts and stuff for work, uh, but yeah. what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Okay. Reading. I'm reading Capital in the 21st Century. Okay. Uh, which I'm late to. I know it was like the fucking rage last year. Uh, but I'm, one of my clients reminded me that I had to buy it, so I'm now reading it, and okay. it's good. Um, um, what was the next one? Watching? watching? What are you watching? What am I watching? Seen any good movies lately or any, any series uh, that you're reading? Yeah, I mean, I just finished watching all of the, you know, this fall's movies. Okay. Um, you know what I saw? Here's a tip. I saw Star Wars on 4DX, which is at the LA Live Theater in uh, the re, you know the AMC at LA Live in uh-huh. downtown. And it's this thing where the seats move, kind of like you're on Star Tours at oh, Disneyland. Interesting. And it shoots water at you, and there's wind, and it's wait, it shoots water at you, really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's totally breathtaking, and it turned what is otherwise like a fine movie with great mm-hmm. action into a totally phenomenal experience. And I really recommend that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everyone should try it. It's 30 <laughs> bucks, unfortunately. Right. Um, but it's worth it because it's like, it's like being on Star Tours for two hours. Right, right. Um, uh, listening to, well, I certainly uh, just heard the Beyonce, the new <laughs> right. Beyonce song about the Black Panthers and that she has hot sauce in her bag and I thought it was amazing. And I thought it was a great rebuke to like the... The you know there's a whole conversation in pop music going on about race and mm-hmm. I thought it was a great rebuke to the Macklemore Ryan Lewis nine minute song where he like talks about himself um, instead of the issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I think she reminded us of why she's so good at what she does. Right. Um, what was the last one? Uh, playing. Are you playing any games? Or, or games. I guess no, I don't play games. Know. No okay. games for Jesse. Yeah, I'm a weirdo. Well, remember when I was in when I was in high school, I was building computers and selling them instead of, you know, playing Nintendo or computer games. I was the weirdo. Right, but as a computer guy, you'd think that that would be an extension of it, no? Okay. I don't know. I never understood games. All right. Yeah. Nowadays, I, I found games, and I, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, that mm-hmm. games nowadays are literally like mini-movies. It's no longer just I like know the this. Pac-Man stuff. It's like, you know, video game writers are now being nominated for WGA awards because of, uh, the, the stories are so complex. And, Kevin, I'm totally with yeah. you, and I'm not – I'm I'm the flawed one here. I'm not judging. I, oh, no, I, no, no. I should, I should be <laughs> playing games. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Each of their own. Um and then lastly, do you have what sort of advice do you have for up and coming aspiring writers out there? Well, I think we've covered that pretty heavily. But yeah. I, I I'll say this. I do think you have to really do an honest assessment of yourself. Yeah. And um this is not a game, you know. This is real shit and it's really hard and it's uh and if you succeed at it it's incredibly rewarding and you get to be a part of something that is like you'll be pinching yourself every day mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you do have to do an honest assessment and i you know i'm going to loop this back to management you need somebody in your life who encourages you because 
on you know number one, if you don't have that at all, if no one's encouraging you to do this, you might think about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> You've got other issues other than trying to get a rap at that point. Yeah, and like maybe you just suck at writing, and you're the last one to realize that. Right. Um, and again, that's okay. You know, I suck at a lot of stuff, including writing. <laughs> so I found another way to be a part of the movie business. Absolutely. Right? Um, anyway, um, I think you need that one. You need that person, whether it's your mom or your dad or your grandma or your best friend, to tell you you've got to do this, and I'll help, I'll be there for you. And I, I think that's a very important component. That's your pre-manager, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes that actually turns into your manager. And that can be some of the most effective and explosive relationships in this business are, you know, people who essentially get into it together. Um, right. With their own goals and their own um, lanes that they're in, mm-hmm. but like synergistically helping each other and guiding each other along the way. Um, and that would be my advice is to really try for something like that. Mm-hmm. You should know that like this business is, it's the, you can do what you want. The world, you know, we're in the matrix, man. <laughs> it's not real. You don't have to like go get a manager and then write a script and then become a screenwriter. Right. Just do your thing and become an interesting person right. and go out there and put your stuff into the world. And you will probably find success if what you are saying or doing is of value to other people. Right. Yeah. Great material finds a way. That's right. And great yeah. people find a, a you know an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jesse. Kevin, it was my sincere pleasure. Um, how can people find you on social networking, on Twitter, Facebook? I don't do Twitter. Okay. I stopped Twitter after after I left Silicon Valley. Maybe I should do Twitter. Um, I don't want people going onto my Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no. but, but I'm happy to. I, and I'm, my email address is on IMDb Pro, and I'm happy to give it out. It's Jesse J E S S E at Mindframe M I N D F R A M E hyphen Films dot com. There you go. So yeah. There you go. You feel free to, your, but make sure your queries are absolutely brilliant if you're going to send them in. Yeah, or just ask me questions. Or ask him questions. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. Start a conversation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so I will let you go back to your sister's wedding planning because I know you're being a, a mensch and helping her out with that, which is very nice of you. Um, and for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at ScriptScribes, and you can also find us on Facebook and the Google+, and of course on our website, scriptandscribes.com. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>